sticker, got a free sticker. That's the day that everybody goes somewhere, casts about so they can get a free sticker, right? Um, I, I did want to make mention of this. Um, is, is this. Uh, the, the Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 21, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water. He turneth it whithersoever he will. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the hearts. To do justice and judgment is more acceptable to the Lord and sacrifice and high look and a proud heart and the plowing of the wicked is sin. There we have the great assurance that God remains sovereign regardless of whether things go red, blue, or somehow make purple. Uh, we can certainly trust that whether states rise or fall or votes rise or fall, however we feel like it, however we want it to go, that we can trust this, that though the nations rage, as the psalmist tells us, though that the heathen heathe, that's what heathen do, uh, that God still remains fully in control, that God has a kingdom which will one day have no end, and that there's not a single thing that mankind can ever do about it. So until then, vote, write your letters, pray, but at the end of the day, trust the Lord, know that no matter what happens, no matter what happens in this worldly kingdom in which we're living in, we're only temporary citizens here. I'm an eternal citizen of heaven, and I long and look forward to that day where I can be in that literal kingdom forevermore, and I will serve a good and a just God, a good and just king, and I will serve him freely, happily, uh, rightly, and, and without any concern that he will ever do any wrong. My God will always do that which is right. That is who he is and what he does. So regardless of what happens in this election and elections to come, regardless of whatever results, we can trust in the Lord our God. Now as we get here into Genesis 5 tonight, we see the God who rules. And in this chapter we have seen that God's plan is not thwarted by whatever mankind has done. Up to this point, man has disobeyed him in the garden. Man has disobeyed him out of the garden. And no matter where man goes at this point, because of his sinful nature, his sinful flesh, he will continue to disobey God. But we do have this great hope is that not only is there now these folks who are uh, disobeying God, but there is now this lineage of faith that has been founded uh, through the line of Seth, uh, the son of Adam, who has come. And in his lineage, it was what we call the lineage of faith that we have seen and traced through chapter 5. And it is ultimately going to lead to Christ the second and better Adam, the one who will be prophet, priest, and king and will do so rightly and justly and perfectly and completely, uh, who will one day be the, the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. Uh, we're talking about that all of these things that have come into creation, all of this sin that has entered in, and even these folks of faith that God is very much using every single step to demonstrate His grace and to reveal His glory to mankind and ultimately, His grace and glory are found in His Son, Jesus Christ. And in so doing, as we read these genealogies, I don't want us to ever get to the place where we go, what is the point of this list of names? What is the point of going, here's this person's name, they lived this many years, they had this kid, they lived some more years, and then they died. I want us to see that this is pointing us to Jesus. That is the point of the Scripture. That is... Uh, that is the point of, uh, of life. That is the point of every uh, passage that we get to, that it must be making a beeline for the cross. It must be making a beeline for the revelation of who Christ is. Tonight we're going to be looking at verse 21 uh, down through 27. We're going to see the life of Methuselah, and we're going to get into Lamech as well some. But we're going to be in a few different places. What is happening here towards the latter half of 
chapter 5 as it's being drawn to a close is uh, it is not only continuing that lineage of faith, but it is leading up to one man named Noah. Noah is going to be the other man, like Enoch, who walked with God. And is going to tell us then in Genesis chapter 6 that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. There is nothing greater that you can ever have said about your life or in your life that you have found grace in the eyes of the Lord, that you have walked with God. And Noah is going to be used of God uh, to preserve the human race and ultimately through him and his sons are going to come the nation of Israel. But even greater than the nation of Israel, it is going to come the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Not just the King of the Jews, but Jesus Christ, God himself in the flesh. And let's read here tonight verse 21 down through 27 and we'll jump right in. It says, And Enoch lived sixty and five years and begat Methuselah. Right? This is the beginning of Methuselah's life here, if you're following along in the booklet. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah three hundred years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were three hundred and sixty-five years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. What happened to Enoch? Right? We talked about this. Every other man up to this point, it is said, he lived. He had a kid, right? specifically a son that's bringing on the, the lineage. He lived some more, and then he died. And he died. That has been the recurring theme. For him, we don't have that with Enoch. We have he was born, he was alive, he had kids, he lived some more, and he did not die. Rather, he was translated, snatched up, taken out by the Lord as a beautiful picture of the rapture of the church. And we do hold and believe, according to the Scripture, here in Genesis 5, as well as throughout the Scriptures, that God is going to... Uh, redeem and, and bring His people and uh, keep them from the great day of wrath. While we might face tribulations, and we will face tribulations, as a matter of fact, we have to understand that, though we face tribulations in this life, we will not face the tribulation. And what this is, is this is a picture that Christ will call His church out of here before that great day of wrath comes. And that great day of wrath is coming. You say, what is, what is the next thing in line for it to happen. What's got to cause the rapture? What's the next step? Is it a red heifer? Is it a temple? The next thing for the rapture to take place is for simply the rapture to take place. We're not waiting for anything else. The return of Christ, the calling out, the snatching out of God's people where the Lord shall uh, descend in the clouds, meet us there, call us out, right? That is imminent. Any moment, any hour, any day. That used to be the driving force for the early church. It used to be the motivating factor. It used to be the comforting factor. It used to be, even not so long ago, the thing that we sung about long and looked forward to, to, to meet Christ. So we must make sure, like Enoch, that our roots aren't too deep in this world. We must make sure that, unlike Lot, that we're not uh, making ourselves a, a home in the city, that we're making ourselves uh, uh, to be available and, and ready to move for the Lord, knowing that, like Abraham, we're not living for this world, but we're going on to a greater city, a, a, a more beautiful city, a more permanent city, a, a greater place, a lasting place, an eternal place. Now, as we get here now into more into Methuselah, in verse 25 it says, And Methuselah lived in 180 and seven years and begat Lamech. Now this is a different Lamech. We've addressed this already. Chapter 4 has another Lamech. He was a seventh from Adam. He was a wicked one. A seventh, seventh from Cain, excuse me. Yeah, he was a wicked man, a vile, perverse, in every which way that you can think of. But then we talked about the seventh from, uh, from Seth here dealing with uh, Enoch. Uh, and now en uh, Enoch has Methuselah, and Methuselah here has Lamech. 
And it says Methuselah lived after he begat Lamech 782 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. 969 years old. That's a long time. You might feel pretty old tonight. I don't know. Some days we might all feel that way, right? Nevertheless, 969 years old is much longer than anybody in here. Matter of fact, 969 years old, we could probably do the math tonight, and all of us combined might not quite reach 969. We, we might get close, but it, we, we, that's one man. That is literally not just a lifetime. That is generations upon generations. Not just decades of living, but centuries of living. Now, with this, we want to look here. Uh, the life of Methuselah, while you go, well, there's not so much going on here except he lived for a long time. That means Methuselah saw a lot of things, right? And, and your lifetime, how many of you are 60 and older, right? How many of you are 60 and older and don't want to say, right? <laughs> right? No, nevertheless, how old you are, the older you get, the more stuff you've seen, right? Uh, the more things you've seen. As a matter of fact, the more change you've seen. You talk to some older saints of God, things ain't the way they used to be. As a matter of fact, they're not how they used to be when I was growing up, right? This world is different. And unfortunately, as of right now, there's no getting back to it regardless of, of anything that we do, right? We can't vote our way backwards. Uh, I believe we ought not even want to pray our way backwards. We want to pray our way forward, right? To what God would have for us in the future. But we think about this time, it, it seems to be speeding up, right? It was just the first of the year like last week, and here we are. We're halfway through November. We just bought our Thanksgiving turkey today, right? I mean, think about that. That's crazy. Now, now this world is, is spinning. It seems faster and faster. But in so doing, the world is changing. It seems faster than ever before. Now, is it? I don't know. Nevertheless, I do know that it seems that it is. And in this, in this change, let me ask you this. Whether you're older or younger tonight, if you're here tonight and you're trusting in Jesus as your Savior, are things changing for the better? No. All right. I don't know who said it, but you're right. No. They're not changing for the better. And they're not going to change for the better in this world until Christ comes back. And we've got to understand that is what we're looking forward to. We're not looking to try to make this world better so that then He'll come back. This world's going to get worse and then He'll come back. You know why? That's what He said is going to happen. <laughs> if the Lord said this is how it's going to be, that's how it's going to be. You say, well, then do we just throw up our hands, wave the white flag, give up, right? Do we hide in our little caves, hide in our little churches? No, all the more reason to fight the good fight of faith until either we get killed, until we die, or until we get raptured. Nevertheless, we, we have a job to do. And Methuselah lived as well such a life where he saw change. He saw a deterioration of society. But yet all the while in this, as we're going to see with Methuselah and Lamech, is that they are looking forward. Why? The lineage of faith. What does faith do? Faith not only looks up to the Lord and trusts and dependence, but faith looks forward. Faith does not look to the right nor to the left. It's not looking and going, oh, woe is me. Look how bad the other generation got. Look how bad my cousins are. Right? My, my, my cousins in chapter 4 are wicked and vile and perverse and making this world so bad. It's not looking back and going, boy, I sure wish we could just... Uh, I wish... Old grand, great, 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 great grandpa Adam never messed these things up. And by the way, you look at a at a uh, that timeline that I've given you. 
folks like Methuselah and Adam could have met. That's how long they're living. Methuselah and Noah. I mean, this, they're living so long that easily this tradition of knowing God and walking with God, it is being passed down from generation to generation. We have to see that here, right? These people are being taught this. It's not something that they're coming up with. They're not going, yeah, I think I'm going to worship God today. No, nope. it has been given. And now it's been passed on from generation to generation. Now, faith is not inherited, but it is taught. And if it's not taught, it will not be believed, right? It has to be heard. Uh, uh, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, Phillips writes here, his father Enoch embedded one of his prophecies in Methuselah's name. Methuselah's name, as Phillips points out here, is the idea of when he dies, it shall come. That's pretty interesting uh, that, that, that a name means that much. Many of the Bible names have a lot to do with, a, with where they're at in the world what their parents believed, what they felt, uh, the, the direction of God, you know, all these things in his work. He says, throughout all of Methuselah's long life, conditions on earth went from bad to worse, but still God held his hand, for he is of great patience, not willing that any should perish. Uh, and, and he goes on in 2 Peter 3, 9, in which we'll get into in just a moment. The antediluvians took God's inaction as proof either of his non-existence or his indifference. Now, for this lineage here in chapter 5, what are they believing? They're seeing that things are getting worse and worse, but what is that causing them to do by faith? To go that God is going to redeem. God is going to come back. God is going to set these things right. As we had talked about, and well, about a year ago, when we were looking at Genesis 1, right? Can you remember back that far? It's been a while. You go back to Genesis 1, what we were talking about is this. The very phrase itself, in the beginning, is pregnant with the idea and understanding and belief that there is going to be an end, right? And so the very first book of the Bible is an, an eschatological book. That's a fancy way of saying it is an end times book as well. It is not just Revelation and Daniel being end times, but the end times are seen from the very beginning here, in the early stages of these chapters, that these are the very beginning, uh, uh, beginning doctrines that are showing here that while it's, it's the root here, right? Revelation is, is the fruit and the leaves of the end times, this is the root of where it's all springing up and growing out of. But ultimately, the end times is not about helicopters and bombs and droughts and, and starvation. And what's the end times about? Christ redeeming his people and ruling over his people and reconciling people by the blood and death of his, on his cross and making a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. So the end is about what the beginning was supposed to be. Right? The beginning was supposed to be what the ending is going to be. Right? So as we get here to Methuselah, what is he looking forward to? He's looking forward to the end. Now if Methuselah, who is found here in Genesis chapter 5, was looking forward to the end, what should you and I be looking forward to? The end. Right? Now if you watch a movie, right? If you, if you like watching movies, don't matter whatever it is, right? You, you like, well, like, it does matter what you watch, all right? Let me put that in there. But, but whatever you, uh, you watch, an uh, action movie, you like a comedy, whatever it might be, right? Do you watch it and stop every movie that you watch 15 minutes before it's over? No, you want to see how it ends, don't you? Right? No matter how many times you've watched The Princess Bride, you, you want to watch it to the end, right? All the way. How about a book? If you're reading a book and you like, you like, uh, 
you like novels or westerns or, 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 or even coloring books for that matter, right? You want to do what? You want to get to the end. Why? Because the end matters. Yes, the middle matters. Yes, the beginning matters, right? Because if it doesn't catch your attention, you're probably not going to make it to the end. But what is the goal of starting that book or starting that movie? To make it to the end. And so from the very beginning, the goal is the end. Why? Because the very days of creation showed us that. That we've got six days of work, but there's going to be a seventh day. That eternal rest. That's what mankind was built for and made for. To enter into an eternal rest with our Maker. Where we can enjoy His glory without being killed. Where we can enjoy His glory uh, without the curse. Where, where we can enjoy His glory in His presence in, in an unfathomable, unbelievable way that we can't grasp while we're still yet in this world. Now, turn, hold your place here, but turn with me over to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3. The reason why we're going over here to 2 Peter 3 is because it is dealing with Christ's coming, but specifically it is dealing with um, the reality of how things were getting. And I used that word earlier. Phillips used it, the antediluvian. This is the idea of the pre-flood world. All right, This is the understanding of that. There's about 2,000 years of history before the, the flood comes. And that's a long time, isn't it? Right? We just talked. I mean, Methuselah lived for almost half of it. Right? That's a long time he's living. Now, in this, we're going to see here in 2 Peter 3 the attitude and the actions of the lost world, of what the pre-flood world looked like. And this only gives just a little inscription. Jesus gives much of the detail when he describes, and so do other authors like Paul, when they talk, or even many of the prophets in the Old Testament, talk about the end times and how bad things are going to be. When Jesus talks about it as, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be, right, when the, in the, with the, the coming of the Son of Man. So the same way it's going to be is the same way it was before the flood. Right? Jesus talks about it. They were eating and drinking, giving marriage. They, but they were wicked, vile, perverse, violent people. Now here, we're going to find the root of this. 2 Peter 3 shows us what was going on during the time of Enoch and Methuselah, right? It says, and I want to read here essentially most of this chapter here. Peter writes, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Notice this. The word prophets and the apostles, you know what that covers? Old Testament and New Testament. There are those who make the argument that only Paul's writings matter. That's hogwash. There's, uh, there's those who make the argument that we can't know what the Bible said because the Bible was put together until hundreds of years later. That's also hogwash, right? The Bible was being literally written. They had copies of Scripture. If you remember uh, that Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 that Timothy had known the Scriptures from the time he was a boy. What Scriptures? The Holy Scriptures. What Holy Scriptures? They had the entire Old Testament. They had a Bible. They had not the complete because the New Testament was still being written, but yet they had all that was needed at that time to point to Christ who had come. And this New Testament is now complete, sufficient, inspired, and errant. And Peter reiterates this by saying, Everything that the prophets wrote and everything that the apostles are writing now, uh, all of it is pointing to the Lord and Savior. 
It is all, like Paul said, profitable for approval, for, for correction, for instruction, all of these things. Now, he goes on, and we look here, verse 3, he says, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. So what does he say is going to come? There's going to be scoffers, and they're going to walk after their own lusts. That's not good, is it? But it sounds an awful lot like today. You know why? Because it sounded like Peter's day too. This is what Paul and Peter were dealing with. This is what James and John were dealing with. This is what the early church dealt with. This is what we're dealing with today, and it's going to get worse, and it is. He says in verse 4, and here's, here's what we're going to look at. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. So what were they saying in his day? And what are they going to be saying in our day? The Lord ain't coming. It's always been this way. That's just an old wives tale. Jesus ain't coming back again. He already come once. He don't have to come again. We're going to usher in the kingdom. We'll make things right for him. Uh, we're just going to make a good, we're going to make heaven on earth. We can hardly make a bologna sandwich taste good. How do we think we're going to make heaven on earth? I mean, and I love bologna as much as the next guy, but I tell you, but we're not going to make heaven on earth. We can't do it. We can hardly keep ourselves from sinning every other minute. How do we think we're going to make things better? We're not. But they had folks in their day, and we've got folks in our day. How many of you have ever heard somebody say, oh, I don't, I don't know about the Lord coming back. I don't know. It ain't going to happen in my lifetime. Or it ain't happened yet, so I don't know if it's going to. We hear that stuff. This is coming from people who, one, deny Scripture, Old and New Testament. Two, clearly don't believe the Scripture. Three, that means that they don't know the God of the Scripture. And if you don't know the God of the Scripture, you're going to be in trouble when that day does come. Because that day is coming. He goes on and he says in verse 5, For this they willingly are ignorant of. That's rough. That tells you the real state. They're not just deceived at this point. They're willingly ignorant. The next time you have someone who gets all riled up because you're a Christian or you believe in the end times, you believe the end of the world's coming, you believe Christ is coming, all those things, right? And, and that happens, right? People don't like it. Nobody likes to hear that their sins are going to be judged, that Christ is coming, that this world's going to burn up and all their stuff, and unless they get right with the Lord, they're going to go into a lake of fire. That doesn't sound very nice to most people in the world today. But they need to hear it. But the next time that they say it, I want you to do this, because here's your reaction, and here's my reaction. Ooh, here's my reaction, too. We either, one, we get all mad and in the flesh, we get riled up, we get, well, well I know what my Bible says, so, na-na-na-boo-boo and all that stuff, and we get all mad, right? And we want to lash back out at them. I understand that, right? But the next time that happens, I want you to take a, take a breath, take a moment, Look at something like 2 Peter here that tells us what, what things are going to be like in our day. And then I want you to see the reality. That this is a lost soul that does not know Christ, that has not the same hope that you have, the same confidence that you have, and to know this, that right now they have not only been deceived and blinded by the devil and the world, but by their own lustful flesh, and now they have become willingly ignorant of Christ. We ought to be merciful and pitiful towards them. We ought to feel desperately sorry because they need to know the Christ that we know. He goes on, he says, For this they are willingly ignorant of, 
that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that when was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. What's this world going to face one day? He says it. Fire, judgment. It's kept right now. The only reason why it's being kept for that. You want to talk about kindling? You want to talk about a, a fire? This world will literally burn. He says, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. Now let's pause for just a moment tonight. This does not mean that there is some gap theory or long age day theory that many like to put onto Genesis, nor does it mean that, um, that this means that, uh, okay, well, one day, like today, you know, the day one of creation was really like a thousand days or, or like a million years or a billion years. No, that's not the case. Let's look at the context here, right? Context, he just said and talked about how that there's coming scoffers who are going to say, that, oh, the end ain't coming because things are still spinning and happening in the world just like they always have from creation. They're going to be saying the end is not near, the end isn't coming, judgment isn't coming is even the idea. They're going to reject the idea of judgment, let alone an end times judgment and an eternal judgment of which they'll face. And he's saying be patient. These days are coming but you know that it is still coming. Not just those difficult days, but you know that that day of redemption is coming. And here's what he then says. But let it be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. For the Lord right now, this 2,000 year period that we've had since Christ has not had His return, right? It's been just a moment for Him. Think of it this way as well. For your loved one who's gone on to be with the Lord, they might have been gone already for 30, 40 years. It's bar they barely blinked in heaven. Right? For God, time for us, a thousand years is nothing. It is but a moment. For you and I, we could live a thousand years like Methuselah. Right? He lived close to it, 969 years. You know how long that was for God. Because God is in the present, the past, the future. He's all present. He is present. There's nothing that escapes His presence. And so for Him, when we talk about time, it's nothing. So people look, and the psalmist dealt a lot with this. How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord, till You redeem me? My enemy's coming. How long, O Lord, will You wait? It ain't nothing for God. He's not there going, whew, yee, that clock's ticking, uh-oh. That big hand's getting close to midnight. Nope. Just like that for him. Think of it this way, right? If 2,000 years haven't been anything for him waiting to send his son to collect his bride, how long do you think around the 60, the, 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 excuse me, the, the 6,000 to 6,500 years that we've been alive on this world, how long do you think that's been for? Not much longer has it, right? It's just a moment. Now notice this here. A lot of Bibles, including mine, put a little marker or a little space in between here with maybe like a little subsection, 
Verse 9 helps us out with verse 8. And verse 10 helps us out with verse 9 and verse 8. And all the way back through this passage. Notice this here. All right? The Lord is not slack concerning His promise. What is His promise? Christ is coming. A new heavens and a new earth are coming. Eternal redemption is coming. Right? The Lord is not slack concerning His promise as some men count slackness. Now, some men were counting slackness. That's what Peter just addressed in verses 1 through 5. That there are those who say, oh, this world keeps spinning as it always has been. Judgment ain't coming. You, you crazy old nut preaching all that stuff, right? That's what they told Noah, right? That's, that's what we see uh, in Noah's life uh, and all these uh, prophets' life. Here's what he goes on to say. But is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? He says all these things to tell us this. Be holy. Be godly. Well, that was the life that Lamech lived. Noah, his son, lived. That's the life that Methuselah lived. That's the life that Enoch lived. That's the life that Seth lived. Holy and a godly life. And waiting for that day of redemption. Looking forward to that day of redemption. By faith. That's what Abraham did. That's what Isaac did. That's what Jacob did. That's what David did. It's what Moses did. It's what all of these folks who have gone before us, who have died in the faith, looked forward to. He says, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we according to His promise. What's His promise? Look for a new heavens and a new earth. That word new is very important. It is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew barach, which is that of new and fresh, a brand new creation. The very moment that God in the Old Testament said, let there be. God said, God spoke it, and then it was. God's going to speak and it's going to be done. New heavens and new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Like Methuselah. Like his dad. Like his granddad. Like their grandkids. All the way down through Noah. Who by grace trusted the Lord by faith. Looked forward and upward to the promise of God. As we talked about this all the way through Genesis, there's two key words that help us without the whole Bible. God's promise and God's provision. What is God's promise? God's word. What is God's provision? God's work. Where do we find God's promise and God's provision? In Jesus Christ. You say, could they see Jesus at this time? No, but they knew that there was a Christ. And they knew that He was coming. And they knew that there was an end because they knew that there was a beginning. They knew that there would be eternal redemption where God would right everything that they had made wrong. Because that's who God is. He says, in verse number 15, and account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. Let me pause there for just a moment. Right? This is all free of charge. Right? This might even be for you tonight. 
Peter and Paul, though they might have had disagreements, still knew that they both were apostles and were in the process by the grace of God writing the New Testament. They did not say, that one ain't an apostle and that one ain't an apostle. Don't believe what he said. Don't believe what he said. And be careful of those who say such. All right? It says, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things. They're matching up. Why? Because the Scriptures match up. What Paul said of the end times is what Peter said of the end times. What Paul said of Christ is what Peter said of Christ. Why? Because there is one Christ who is the fulfillment of the promise and provision of God. He is the provision of the Word and work of God because He is the Word of God and He came to do the work of God, which is to tell us and reveal to us who God is and to reconcile us then unto God through His death, burial, and His resurrection, which Paul preached, which Peter preached, which we preach. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are the, these things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the Scriptures unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. He says, be careful, because there's going to be those who are the scoffers of our day, who are walking after their own lusts, who will tell you, oh, it don't matter how you live because there's no judgment, there's no end times, and Christ is not coming. He says, be careful. Here's what he tells us to do. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Now back to Genesis 5. In Methuselah's day here, what we find is this. Things are getting worse. In Enoch's day, things are getting worse. In Noah's day, they're going to be real worse. They're going to hit the peak point up to this time. The population is growing and the sin is exploding. Idolatry and immorality are rampant. And like Peter had said, they are now willingly ignorant of. That is what Paul called a reprobate mind. Reprobate mind is not just something that we're beginning to see in our day or we'll continue to see as things get worse and we get closer. But it was very much there then too. A reprobate mind is where God then gives us over to what we're living in. To help you understand what a reprobate mind is, according to Romans 1, is this. Sin is the cause of it, but sin is the consequence of it. Meaning this. Living in sinful and willful, ignorant idolatry and immorality, God now then says, okay. It's like this. Our sin causes us to lean over across a cliff. That thing creaked way more than I wanted it to. I'm going to step back here. <laughs> we're leaning off a cliff and our sin says, see how far you can go. Right? And all the while, God's grace and mercy is there. Going, don't. It, you're going to die if you do that. The same way He told Adam, the moment you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. Don't. Don't. Don't do it. But sin causes us to go further. And the reprobate mind is the Lord going, that's a frightening thing. Because then we're falling into our sin headlong and we don't care that we are. 
Now, praise the Lord, if you're in Christ tonight, you might not have to so much worry about that, but you've got friends, neighbors, loved ones. We've got a world, we've got a nation that is in the process of such right now. We find that reprobation comes when idolatry is rampant, and we find immorality being rampant because idolatry is rampant. Uh, a hand and feet will only go and do what a heart has already done and what a mind has already thought. And that's where we're at as a society. That is what's happening in their day in Genesis 5. You say, but it doesn't tell us that. No, because it told us about it in Genesis 4. It told us about it in Genesis 3 when man said and listened to the voice of the devil that said, did God really say? All this boils down to, did God really say? And yes, God has really, truly spoken. The greatest thing that we could ever do is get into the Word. The greatest thing you can ever do for your life, for your loved ones, for your friends, your neighbors, for this nation, for this world, for lost souls, for your soul, is to get in this book. Because if you want to know if God really said, here's what He really said. And every time that sin is knocking, it's because behind the door is either your flesh, the world, or the devil saying, did God really say? Yes, He did. Methuselah's life shows us just how long-suffering and gracious God is. 969 years, that's a lot of sin. Methuselah wasn't perfect either, was he? No. I don't know how much sin I've got in my life in 28 years. A lot. I heard that. I got a lot. <laughs> so do y'all, right? <laughs> Help me out a little. If I, if I could make it just to be, if we could see our sin physically as a, as a little plastic ball that you'd see kids playing in a ball pit with, there's no reason why just my sin this year wouldn't fill up this place to the roof, let alone in 28 years. Our, our sin is ever before us, but God is long-suffering and kind and patient. In this, with Methuselah's name, this whole idea is that there is this longing and looking forward to a redemption and a redeemer. Now Methuselah here, he lives and he's 969 years old, but he begats Lamech in verse 25. I want to read verse 25 down to 31, and we're going to bring this to a close here. It tells us, And Methuselah lived, 180, uh, excuse me, lived 187 years and begat Lamech. And Methuselah lived after he begat Lamech 782 years and begat sons and daughters. Right, He's having a whole slew of them. There's babies everywhere. There's generations everywhere. They're marrying each other. They're, they're growing. They're having babies, right? Remember, the Bible is not a, a phone book, nor is it a church directory. It is telling us the lineage here that is leading to Christ, right? So not every person's ever been alive. Matter of fact, if you were to look at the generations, how long they were living, and the fact they're having sons and daughters, if you were to just simply say that each one of them is not only having the, the man in this lineage in, in chapter 5, but as well just another couple of sons and another couple of daughters, there is at least in the millions, the millions. Say Methuselah and his wife have one kid a year from the time that he is, let's see, 187 years old till the time that he's only 500. 
You do the math. That's a lot. And say they do that themselves. That's a lot. We're talking about millions, if not billions of people at this point. Right? He says here, In all days Methuselah were 969 years and he died. Just like everyone except for his dad, Enoch. I wonder what Enoch talked about for all those years. You know, his dad lived to be 365 years old. Enoch got to meet his grandson Lamech, right? Lamech was born when Methuselah was 187. Enoch's probably maybe still alive, maybe got to meet him. Maybe Methuselah and Lamech maybe even witnessed dad and granddad. Gone. What a testimony that is to what godliness looks like, to what a life should be lived like. And now, all the more in their heart, they know it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Lamech lived 182 years and begot a son, and he called his name Noah, saying, This same shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. And Lamech lived after he begot Noah, 595 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Lamech were 770 and seven years. Seven, seven, seven. Huh. That's pretty good, isn't it? We'll look at that another night. We'll leave, leave a cliffhanger there. But he died too. Lamech not only felt the burden of his work upon the ground which God had cursed, but looked forward with a prophetic presentiment to the time when the existing misery and corruption would terminate and a change for the better. A redemption from the curse would come. The presentiment assumed the form of hope when his son was born. He therefore gave expression to it in his name. We're going to stop there. Lamech, like his dad Methuselah, like his granddad Enoch, is living by faith and looking forward to that coming redemption where the curse will be not only broken, but the curse will be lifted and gone for good. The Bible tells us that day is coming. When you read in Revelation 22, you know what it says? And there shall be no more curse. It's gone. That's what they were looking forward to. And here... Even the very name Noah it is going to be giving this idea of he is awaiting this day of rest. So what sets these men of God apart from you and I? A lot. <laughs> but one main thing is this. They lived by faith for eternity. Eternity was always in their in their sight. Today, we're closer to the end than they were. A lot closer. We're closer than Paul was, and Peter, and James, and John. We're closer than many folks who have already gone on. And I can tell you this, we're at least one day closer today than we were yesterday. If anything. How are we living? Are we looking forward to that day? And are we literally looking forward to the eternal things and are our eyes fixed on that which is coming? And that which is coming 
is our Lord. One day, our eyes shall see Him. Our faith shall be made sight. Let us pray. Lord, we love You. We thank You for this night. Grateful that we can look to Your Word. And, and God, uh, we can see that these folks had such a hope and a confidence in, in You lifting the curse and You uh, redeeming and making things right. Help us to do the same, O oh Lord. I pray, God, that we would live our lives not for this physical world, but live things for the eternal. And God, that You would allow us just to walk with You, Lord, now and to have these glimpses and these moments where it, it seems as if uh, because of Your presence that heaven is very much right here. But Lord, may those moments long, make us long and look forward to that day of, of future redemption. I pray that You would help us as we go from this place, Lord, to go with the Gospel, to go with it on our tongues and our minds and our hearts, and, and that our eyes would, would be looking up, our eyes of faith would be looking up and out uh, to, to that coming day. Well, we love and we thank You for this time and go with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, y'all, the blessed night. Lord willing, we'll see you guys Sunday morning.